Last week, we discussed a cauliflower and broccoli shortage. This week, some fears that your sprouts might be affected, and this time it's nothing to do with the weather. For those farms that are recruiting at peaks, peak of season for certainly um, collies, um, brussels, anything that's certainly manual labour, there could be some big problems. More from John Hardman in a moment, and we'll recap what the now Prime Minister had to say on the matter the last time he spoke to this programme. There are sectors in the agriculture sector and so on where they are going to need to have access to energetic, talented people who want to come and, 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 and do stuff. That's fine. That's great. Provided it's controlled and it's done in a responsible way. And later, we go behind the scenes of a vertical farm. Is that where agriculture's heading? So yeah, we use hydroponic growing techniques, so there's no soil in our growing method. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. It's fair to say the announcement last Monday from the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, that freedom of movement will end on October the 31st in the events of a no-deal Brexit didn't go down that well with some in agriculture. Uh, we've reported time and time again of the pressure and uncertainty that's been facing the industry as we get ever closer to Brexit, but effectively overturning a previous pledge made by Prime Minister Theresa May with just a few weeks' notice has caused real concern for some, especially those who use labourers from Eastern Europe. The NFU has this week written to the Home Secretary claiming the decision risks, I stress the word risks, cutting off the vital labour supply overnight. Vice President Guy Smith, in his letter, says it leaves an irresponsible gap in government policy. Well, it's certainly caused something of a headache for firms such as Hops Labour Solutions, which hires labourers from Romania and Bulgaria. Uh, John Hardman is, is here from Hops. John, explain a bit more about what Hops actually does. Uh, Hops are a uh, labour provider um, predominantly in the horticultural sector. Um, Our season runs from the start of January to the end of December, starting with cut flowers, um, finishing with um, Brussels sprouts for everyone's Christmas dinner plate, and in between there we we pick an immense amount of soft fruit. So you will be affected by the announcement this week by Priti Patel then? Um, We were somewhat um, bamboozled and confused, to say the very least, as a company, we were quite reassured that um, government under the May administration was going to have a two-year transitional period. We'd have free movement of labour um, and we would have access to labour from the countries that we recruit from and, and put uh, people on farms. Um, and as of Monday um, of this week, um, at lunchtime, I was completely gutted to hear that the um, free movement of labour would finish on the 1st of November. Um and that does question whether we will actually be able to recruit between November and and Christmas time, and um, certainly looking very difficult for the next season. And effectively, that you know that really could affect what Brussels sprouts into Christmas, Christmas cabbages, and of course we've got the flowers as well in in January. Yeah, um, certainly any winter veg um, for those farms that are recruiting at peaks peak of season for certainly um, collies. Um, Brussels, anything that's certainly manual labour, um, leaks in some instances that are still manually pulled. Um, so there, there could be some big problems. And for the people that are already here, um, whether they feel that they won't be welcome after the end of October and um, they see Halloween as their departure date, um, that could leave us with a shortage of labour at the latter end of the year. I mean, could could some decide just to, to pack up and go now, do you think? Is that the fear? Absolutely. I mean, certainly when we had the uh, referendum vote, um, we did find it difficult to recruit immediately after that because we were seen as possibly xenophobic and unwelcoming. Um, the following season, 
um, or the following year wasn't too bad because, again, the press had calmed down. There were other issues on, on the table. And we sort of just went about our daily business, carried on recruiting, doing what we're doing and making sure that farms are looking after people. And the farms that have got great uh, facilities are still able to recruit quite easily. Um, however, that made again change with the decision that was made on Monday. And, you know, we need them, don't we? We need these people to come here to to do the jobs because there's no one else to do them at the moment. Oh, absolutely. And um, we get questioned quite a lot as a company, should we be recruiting the claim, social claimants within the UK? Unfortunately, the majority of hotspots of um, unemployment don't tend to be in the areas that we require labour. So... Uh, Looking at the, the depths of Lincolnshire or Norfolk or Kent, these are actually counties that do have quite low numbers of unemployment. And to try and bring somebody from Bradford or Leeds or uh, Liverpool to come and pick fruit in um, Kent or vegetables in Lincolnshire, it's just, it isn't viable. And in addition to that, there's very little appetite within the current labour base that we have for seasonal agricultural work. So what... What happens then? What can you do? Well, at the moment, we will continue to try and we'll carry on regardless um, and continue to recruit from um, predominantly Romania and Bulgaria. Um, there is a government scheme in place that's a pilot for two and a half thousand people um, to recruit from the Ukraine and, and other areas. Um, that should roll out more within 2021, making it the questionable year next year, 2020. Um, but we do need between sort of 55 and 65,000 people um, in seasonal jobs throughout the year, throughout the UK. So two and a half thousand, I could probably drop those on two farms. What do you think will ultimately happen? I mean, is this just, you know, the government trying to force the EU's hand? So he's, he's kind of making this statement. And I mean, I guess you're hoping it doesn't mean it, that, that come the 1st of November, things will be OK. Well, one would really hope so. And um, I did vote leave. Um I did expect to have a deal. I expected to have something that's uh, tangible, certainly by now. Um, one would hope that there will be something in place by the 1st of November. But at the end of the day, we have nine weeks of parliamentary time. And having dealt with the government for a very long time, I see it unlikely. And we are probably heading towards a no-deal Brexit. And that's a, that is a terrifying scenario. And that will have an effect on the amount of fruit and vegetable on people's shelves. You don't have to answer this. Do you regret the vote that you made? No, I still stand by it for the for the reasons that I that I voted leave, and um, that wasn't based on migration or anything else. It was I, I don't particularly like the bureaucratic system within within Europe. So, lots of people voted leave for different reasons, as did a lot of people voted remain for the same reasons, and and I stand by that. So, what would you like? What can happen now? What would, I mean is, you know, let's imagine, I mean, Boris Johnson, he's sat in the very seat you're sat in uh, about a year ago. Um, he may well be listening. You never know. He might be a fan of the farming programme. We'll send him a link to the podcast, if nothing else. What's your message to Mr Johnson? Please give the industry some clarity as to where we're going. We we had some clarity. We had some uh, reassurance of a two-year transitional period and free movement of labour. Our industry will be crippled without free movement of labour and then um, we need clarity 
very, very soon. There you go, Mr Johnson. A firm message from John Hardman at Hops Labour Solutions. Not the only one calling for clarity as the clock ticks ever closer to October 31st. Now, we did try the government for comment, but so far no one's been available. But, as I mentioned there, John Hardman was indeed sat in the very same seat that Boris Johnson had sat in last year. Now, admittedly, a lot's changed since he spoke to the programme. I mean, he wasn't even Prime Minister back then. But here's what he had to say about Brexit and farm labourers at the time. Brexit is not about shutting the draw. Shutting the draw. Brexit is not about sending, telling people to, to go away. Brexit is about being open to the world. It's actually opening Britain up to being a global country again and trading with the rest of the world more freely. And actually, you know, yes, of course, it's important to control uh, migration, immigration in a way that is democratically accountable. I want the UK, I want UK politicians to be responsible for it, for us to uh, to stand up and say, yes, actually, we do need uh, some level of immigration. It's good. So it's good for the economy to have talented people who want to come and work here. What we don't want to do is have so many that it depresses people's wages or it causes strains on public services or it causes it makes it impossible for people to get housing you know there are there, so there are there is a balance in this and yes of course we we as conservatives we totally understand that in Lincolnshire there's there are sectors in the agriculture sector and so on where they are going to need to have access to energetic talented people who want to come and and and, and do stuff that's fine that's great provided it's controlled and it's done in a responsible way Britain is an ama- it's the most amazing country on earth, no question. And we're, we're happy to have people of talent here. They should be welcomed. Uh, they should be embraced. They should not be made to feel bad. But it's got to be done in a controlled way, and it's got to be done in a way that is democratically accountable to the people of this country. Boris Johnson there, speaking to this programme before he was Prime Minister last year. I'm certain the whole issue of freedom of movement and Brexit is a subject we will return to. And as ever, if you have a view on it, on whichever side of the Brexit fence you sit, then do please get in touch through the website. All views are always welcome. It's a bank holiday weekend, so naturally it's back to work for our crop doctor, Sean Sparling, fresh from his holiday. Welcome back, Sean. Yes, good morning, Sean. Well, yeah, well, I've thought I'd better come back to work because it's done nothing but rain ever since I started my holiday. And it's really disrupted harvest. Things are quite difficult out there. There are peas still out in the fields which are now shedding. There are peas which the horns have collapsed. We've got wheat shedding. We've got oats shedding. The spring barley starting to sprout in the air out there in the field. So one of the more difficult harvests. I think it's fair to say. However, the yields of spring barley seem actually pretty robust. High nitrogens in some of these crops, but then that's a natural reaction to the fact we had a drought right through to the end of May. We got them established. Then when the rain came in June around cereals, I'm sure we all remember that, we got luxury uptake of all the nitrogen we've applied, which would concentrate itself in that developing ear. Hence the reason we have high nitrogen. That's translated in wheat as well, because in the milling wheat, we've got actually quite high high proteins and that again is nitrogen in the air as far as yields go it's quite an extraordinary yield i think this year for spring barleys i've never seen spring barleys so widely yielding as well as they are this year winter wheat as well not yielding too badly at all on the land which has an ability to withstand that drought so any land with good organic matter content well managed soils well structured soils where muck is used whether that be pig or cattle or poultry all of those things helped through that period where we got five inches of rain from the first of january to the end of may 
it helped it withhold that moisture in the soil and it helped it feed the crops. And the oilseed rape crops which have done better are the crops on that sort of land with moisture holding capacity and the ability to withstand the effects of that drought. On those fields, 36, 37, 38 hundredweight is not uncommon. On the rest, we've got the issue we saw and that was... In the early drought, when we got through May in the early part of flowering, these oilseed rape plants this season were aborting the buds. So we saw all these blind sites where the buds had been and dropped off and they hadn't set a pod. Then the rain came in the early June and that disrupted the end of flowering. So all the later flowers were rotted off. So what we ended up with was a very narrow band of pods running through the canopy. They looked good, but they didn't yield. And I think, as we said before I went on holiday, a very good average yield this year was going to be around a ton and a quarter per acre and that has been borne out in the field. Now there is of course this autumn a rush to find out as much information as people can about what we do in terms of cabbage stem flea beetle. For me my stance has not changed. Drill it late August rather than early August because that way what we saw this year you get far less larval infestation and it was the larval infestation which caused the majority of the problems for us. People up until this year in this part of the world have felt that if you control the direct feeding, the shot holing, then you've controlled the cabbage stem flea beetle. And in some ways you have, but it's that larval stage that gets into the plant. They munch away all the way through the winter. And then we see what happened this year, which was unique. It was the first time it had happened. We got good looking crops all the way to April and they suddenly stopped. And a lot of damage was done because of the larval stage. Now, if you drill that little bit later, because uh, cabbage stem flea beetle adults wings only last a couple of flights they'll have migrated three four weeks ago they've moved on to the stubble they may have already started to degrade and that's when we saw last year certain fields absolutely hammered because the population of cabbage stem flea beetle was high they couldn't go anywhere because their wings had degraded so they just took the field completely out and yet the field next door largely unaffected so drilling this little bit later the delay in the harvest may well be a double-edged sword because that's going to stop people people and has stopped people getting rape in the ground early so that's good now in terms of winter wheat yields pretty good out there in the field but as i said there's still a lot of harvest to get so we'll talk a little more about that as we go through the next few weeks so it's good to be back at work Thankfully, now I'm back, the sun's shining again, so perhaps I didn't ought to take holidays at all. I mean, in terms of drilling, are you right, are you wrong? Personally, I'm not going to put any preems on. I'm going to do all that post-emergent because I need to see that we have a crop before we start. But we pick the field. You know your land. You know where your issues are. You know what weeds you need to deal with. So if you need to put a preem on, then do so. But preserve all the moisture you can. Get it in, roll it, make sure there's rain on the horizon before you put it in. Don't go overboard on seed rate. 50 to 60 seeds a square metre is the optimum. But remember also, as we go further forward, we get into September, we start to see this change. We start to see autumn on the way change in the day temperatures, change in the night temperatures. So hybrid vigour is quite important with all seed rake. It gets it away in the autumn and it keeps it getting away early in the spring. Start a fertiliser. Try and do as many things culturally to give the crop the best chance it could possibly have. And remember last year, the dry autumn caused as much damage as the cabbage stem flea beetle in some ways because it's simply the plants couldn't grow away from the damage because they were dry. So pick your time, pick your field and make sure you preserve all moisture it may be the wrong thing to do i don't know but there's only a right and a wrong and if you can't hit either of those there's something wrong with you indeed thank you sean sparling of sparling agronomy services
Earlier this year, the online retailer Ocado revealed plans to invest in a Scunthorpe company which many believe could become the future for farming. The Jones Food Company operates a huge vertical farm on the outskirts of the town and grows crops on shelves. It's one of a number of such vertical farms. I know in London the Camden Town Brewery, for example, has installed a vertical farm there. It's growing strawberries beneath the brewery, which will be used in the brewing process. So what actually happens at such farms? Ollie Cabry is of the Jones Food Company. He's taken our reporter Tony Barker into the farm near Scunthorpe. They started by discussing that £17 million investment by Arcado earlier in the summer. We're, we're all really excited about the investment from Arcado. Uh... They've been on our initial business plan, really, uh, as a target for a potential as an investor uh, for since day one, really. So absolutely thrilled to be, uh, I guess, invested in Biocardo. And we think that, you know, with their te- levels of technology and their, all their engineering uh, prowess, they're, they're going to be a fantastic addition to, you know, the, the Jones Food Company team and what have you. Now, Ocado announced it was investing many millions in vertical farms. Tell me about vertical farms, because it's what you specialise in, isn't it? Exactly right, yeah. So Jones Food Company is a vertical farm from its outset. Um, So essentially we grow in a uh, closed warehouse using kilometres of LED lights in stacks. So um, yeah, our current facility has 17 levels uh, and it looks, it's very space-like in fact actually. Um, So yeah, we use hydroponic growing techniques, so there's no soil in our growing method. And the investment by Ocado means what to you in terms of development? The Ocado team will bring uh, a lot of, I guess, technological strength. So uh, they have some incredible systems themselves with their uh, fulfilment centres. And so from a level of automation and what have you, and uh, just you know, general creative ideas around how to take uh, the current Jones Food Company warehouse and, and take it to the next level. Um, so you know, much, a few more machines and what have you, just to really make the system very efficient, much cleaner, and allow you know the customer eventually to receive the you know most fresh produce that they can do. Now, could they've done all that by giving you money rather than investing in the company, or does it have to be an investment in the company, which is the way forward? I think what we are always after, as from a I guess partnership point of view, is to have you know that involvement from the investor. So, you know, in all honesty, we we have been approached um, by other um, people that want to give money and what have you, but we were more inclined to. Well, I'm very happy to accept the Ocado offer and partnership because they bring that really level of innovation and pioneering technology that could help us um, from you know with our core development rather than just a money here you go let's get on with it really. Does it mean you can grow as well as a company greater output that sort of thing a greater growing capacity is that is that in mind? Yes, exactly. So um, from a I guess an efficiency point of view of our current system, we're going to take that to the next level. But then also from a you know, uh, having multiple sites potentially, that's also what we're looking at with, uh, with, the, with Cardio Investment. How big are you now and how big can you get to be with this investment? So we, our Scunthorpe facility is uh, 5,000 metres squared of growing space. Um, we've got plans to grow massively uh, and you know, you know, multiply the size of the site. Um, we're in the early stages of discussions with Ocado now the investment's come through and in due course we'll be releasing some more information around what that looks like. How much of a big deal is this for the company in, in the company's lifetime? I mean, is this the stuff that dreams are made of? You're quite right, exactly. This is kind of a dream come true for Jones Food Company. Uh, very proud to have that Ocado interest and in investment. Um, and like I said, you know, 
they're at the forefront of the, I guess, the tech business, and uh, it's going to be a game changer for us. And the sort of things you grow on all these different levels of vertical farm, what is it you do grow for the, for the British market? Currently, we grow uh, fresh herbs and baby leaf salads, so basil, coriander, and parsley. Theoretically, you can grow anything you want in a vertical system. There are just you know, certain economics that make sense to grow some things more than others. And potentially, with investment like this, can it mean more jobs for Scunthorpe? Exactly, yeah. So, um, you know, as like I said, when we look to expand, you know, there's, there's more job opportunities and uh, in, in the, more so in the supply chain as well. So the local services to you know, help us build such a site and, and run the you know, very sophisticated machines that are required, uh, definitely. And how many people do you employ now here at Scunthorpe? Uh, locally, we uh, hire about eight people um, to, to run the facility, uh, most of which are operators. Um, so, yeah, that's what we're currently at. That's Ollie Cabry of the Jones Food Company inside their vertical farm with Tony Barker. Right, on we go. Let's get the latest from the world of grain, shall we? Jerome Fielder has the news you need this week from Open Field. Hi, Jerome. Hi, Sean. Finally, we've had a relatively dry week and farmers are getting on and getting wheat cut. We've had the odd scattered shower, but most people are getting on and this weekend's hot weather should really bring the moistures down on wheat still out in the field. There was plenty of concern regarding quality with the large amounts of rainfall on ripe crops. However, so far, quality hasn't deteriorated too badly, with limited effects on hagbergs and some variable bushels. Although I don't believe we have a full picture yet, with still quite a bit of wheat out in the field. Looking more closely at the wheat market, the US farmers' anger over the USDA corn prediction seemed to boil over this week as they took out their frustrations on the USDA staff on their annual crop tour. To further dampen US farmers' spirits, the trade war between the US and China has continued to put pressure on prices, and I believe Mr Trump may not be as popular with US farmers come the next election. Futures have hit contract lows in the past week, as the UK prices itself for export before November. November 19 opened on Friday morning at £134.50. Yields in general are coming off well, but unfortunately, with the pound strengthening, prices are weakening. Currency seems to be firming due to Boris seeking renegotiation and there's been some positive noises coming from the EU. Looking at the barley market, malting barley samples have been varied on moisture and yield, but nitrogen results have been low, and unfortunately premiums are in some cases in single figures above feed barley values for standard 185 nitrogen planet contracts, depending on your location. Feed barley markets for spot movement are hard to come by, with the export demand now focused on September and October movement. Harvest progress is, in England is estimated at 25% still to be cut. The all-seed rate markets have found support this week from the Matif French market hitting contract highs, but unfortunately firmer sterling took the shine off UK prices. Biofuel markets, and particularly biodiesel, have seen some strong gains, as the EU may look to curb imports of crude palm oil and biodiesel into the bloc, leading to a raft of supply buying. This in turn supports the crush margin and thus all-seed rate prices. During the US- USDA crop tour, there has also been some pod counts on soybeans, 
And according to reports, the pod count is sharply lower than last year, which would support markets. Although Trump's rollback on biofuel mandates has been negative to supply. Looking at your ex-farm values, Harvest Feed Wheat is in the region of £121 to £125 ex-farm, depending on location, with a further forwards of November at £128 to £130 and May at £134 to £136. Feed Barley, there is no harvest movement available at the moment, but your October price is looking at £114 to £116 ex-farm, with a further forwards of May 20, £121 to £123. All seed rate markets for harvest is £320 to £325, with the further forwards for November £332 to £335, and May at £338 to £341. For any inquiries or grain marketing advice, please speak to your local open field farm business manager. Thank you. Thank you, Jerome. Uh, Jerome Fielder with the prices and news from Open Field. It's a bank holiday weekend. Nothing gets past me. Uh, But not if you're in farming. If anything, it's ideal conditions to get on with the harvest, which has been uh, disturbed by rain through the summer months. So uh, what has this week got in store for us? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, as mentioned, the bank holidays are looking okay. Certainly today, anyway, sunny and warm. Temperatures, late 20s, might even nudge 30 in places later this afternoon. It's not going to last, though, I'm afraid. The jet stream is on the move again, and that brings more unsettled, rather uncertain weather, particularly as we get into the new week. So that will bring some further sunny spells. Alternatively, it might bring some rain and thunderstorms. It's it's definitely one to watch. The winds, they'll be mostly from the south-southeast today and tomorrow, more westerly from Tuesday. We're looking at highs 23 to 25 once today's out of the way, maybe just a touch warmer still tomorrow. And overnight lows around the mid-teens, though by the end of the week, subject to change, we're looking at highs nearer 2021 with lows nearer 12 Celsius. As ever, it can change. This week it's more uncertain than usual with that jet stream on manoeuvres at the moment, so that is more a general overview. Our hourly forecasts, as ever, will have the very latest. So for now, for the week ahead, that is the forecast. Next week, we're spending much of the programme in the company of the chair of Ladies in Pigs after another successful summer of shows. We'll find out how the summer has been and also how the pig industry is faring at the moment. That's next Sunday at the usual time. That and whatever else the week might throw our way in agriculture. As we always say, if it's happening in farming, you'll find it here on the Farming Programme. Until next week, as ever, take care.